Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of The New Yorker magazine. On this program, we invite a poet to select a poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss. Then they read a poem of their own that's been published in the magazine. My guest today is Kate Baer, the New York Times bestselling author of three poetry collections, including most recently, and yet. Kate, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is an honor, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Now, the first poem you've chosen to read is The Morning After by Ellen Bass. What was it about this particular poem that caught your eye while you were looking through our archives? The intimacy of it, I think, is what got me right away. You know, it's this narration of a woman that could be any woman getting up in the morning and seeing their partner and kind of going through maybe what to us is like a blip in the day. But when you stop, she really stops and kind of measures it. And uh, I just I loved it right away. I'd read it before, but when I read it again, I thought, oh, I have to talk about this one. Well, great. Why don't we listen to the poem? This is Kate Bear reading The Morning After by Ellen Bass. The Morning After. You stand at the counter, pouring boiling water over the French roast, oily perfume rising in smoke. And when I enter, you don't look up. You're hurrying to pack your lunch, snapping the lids on the little plastic boxes while you call your mother to tell her you'll take her to the doctor. I can't see a trace of the little slice of heaven we slipped into last night. A silk kimono floating satin ponds and copper koi, stars falling to the water. Didn't we shoulder our way through the cleft in the rock of the everyday and tear up the grass in the pasture of pleasure? If the soul isn't a separate vessel we carry from form to form, but more like Aristotle's breath of life, the work of the body that keeps it whole. Then last night, darling, our souls were busy. But this morning, it's like you're wearing a bad wig, disguised so I won't recognize you, or maybe so you won't know yourself, as that animal burned down to pure desire. I don't know how you do it. I want to throw myself onto the kitchen tile and bare my throat. I want to slick back my hair and tap dance up the wall. I want to do it all, all over again, dive back into that brawl, that raw and radiant free-for-all. But you are scribbling a shopping list because the kids are coming for the weekend and you're going to make your special crab cakes that have ruined me for all other crab cakes forever. That was The Morning After by Ellen Bass, which was published in the July 22nd, 2013 issue of The New Yorker. I'm glad you picked that poem, too, because I think it really does get at the rock of the everyday, or as she says, the cleft in the rock of the everyday, and tear up the grass in the pasture of pleasure. What a great phrase. So good. And and about then, maybe a little before, you start to hear those sounds, those R sounds, the pleasure, the shoulder, um, and then it sort of switches into these L sounds, the soul, if the soul isn't a separate vessel, and then... At the end, that place, it almost trips you up. I want to do it all, all over again, dive into that brawl. I'm wondering about that 
sonic pleasures of the poem as well as the kind of pleasures it describes. How do you map those two? Well, in general, you know, her, her poetry speaks so much of pleasure. And I love that repetition all, all over again, even though I did trip up reading it. Um, I mean, she just has no, such a way of doing do. it. I mean, you're meant to, right? You're meant yeah. to like, yeah. hit this, oh, right, it's a lot of all. It's like, no, really, all. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I think it's probably so miserable to be married to a poet. <laughs> She's like, be sexy, be romantic, stop putting me in this boring world and let's go down to the wild one. And I just loved that for that reason. I, I've I've had that same thought in the morning, <laughs> like, oh, now we're just back to this every day. It, it's just it's a it's a brilliant little quick thought that she she pauses on. Yeah, and I love that it's sort of um the you is is the beloved and whoever the you is the beloved is also the everyday beloved it's not like you know a fling or something it's the power of a long relationship and maybe even a late in life one the kids are turning for the weekend and your special crab cakes which are different than oh i love that line that's the best that's the best line uh one of my favorite things about poetry are the last lines. And this this poem has a great last line. Your special crab cakes that have ruined me for other other crab cakes forever. It's it's so good. She because she returns to that love. Um yeah. Well, and I wonder about that idea of ruin because there's something in there to me that the rest of the poem is kind of interested in. It's interested in the wreck, you know, I almost want to think of it as not just the cleft in the rock, but the sort of wreck. Uh, in that the kind of breaking through um, in the everyday and there's that kind of mystical feeling of the soul in the poem Um, I wonder about those things last night you know there's a humor too last night darling our souls were busy you know (laughs) that's a hilarious line Um, but then followed by this morning it's like you're wearing a bad wig I mean I I would dare to put those two things juxtaposed <laughs> next to each other. How do you take that kind of um, Aristotle meets bad wig? Honestly, the first thing I thought of is the tension of what Gen Z calls the ick, um, which is like when your partner trims their toenails or is slurping their cereal, or in this case, they're just going through the motions of like the grocery store, which is so separate from the night before. She's saying in a very poetic way, but, you know, we all have that feeling sometimes about people we love. It's like, I love you, but (laughs) you're also, this is also kind of icky, uh, just because it's icky to be a human. And and she, she does, she describes that so well. Do you think she feels ick? Because I almost feel like she likes the ick if 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 we're gonna stick with the I think she likes it but I I I think she likes pointing it out yeah (laughs) but there's this other part that happens you know after the wig but this morning it's like you're wearing a bad wig which seems like an insult you know disguise so I won't recognize you or then it's or maybe so you won't know yourself yeah as that animal burned down and there's that kind of um knowledge you know, which I think is, you know, a kind of, it's a kind of joke on carnal knowledge, but also a kind of knowledge of self. This this speaker knows the self of the beloved in these unguarded, let's say, moments. Um, And then I don't know, break, how you do it. I want to throw myself, break, onto the kitchen tile and bare my throat. I mean, that's really amazing. 
yeah surrender to this animal nature yeah that isn't there right now uh, at least in the poem yeah yeah she she almost respects it like i don't know how you do it that you can separate yourself she's yeah she's not condemning it she's she's just drawing a light to it and, and saying i i couldn't do it myself <laughs> uh but how amazing that you can <laughs> yeah <laughs> poet can't get out of the poet's way or something exactly yeah <laughs> This does feel like a poem for poets, which I don't know if it is, uh, because I, it's hard for me to separate myself from that. But it does feel like that to me, like she's writing this for me, like I can't separate myself either. Can you believe some people can like this? What about praise? I think there's a part of poetry uh, a big part that is about praise. I mean, there's another part that's about cursing and, uh, you know, damnation <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. saying, you know, that's part of what one has to say. But here, I think there's a kind of, I think the best praise is not praise of some perfection, but praise of warts and all kind of thing. Uh, and I wonder about that, this idea that I think it also kind of is is toying with of of saying too much almost of almost being, you know, praising a perfection, but there's this kind of other thing that's dragging it down, you know, and that's the kind of ruin I think I mean that the poem is just as interested because you know it's I don't know how you do it, but there's also a kind of curiosity and the ruin of the day, you know, uh, it isn't yeah. a poem about last night though it sort of is, um, but it's set in the morning after talking about that feeling that I think is is both far and close to it. Yes, she absolutely is doing that. And the kid, the kids coming home for the weekend, I, there are some parts of this that are so sweet, though, too. She, she's saying it's ruined, but she's also saying, I, I think she's, she's saying this, a lot of this tongue in cheek, and uh, kind of with a smile on her face. And, and yes, there are praise poems and there are not praise poems. This this definitely feels like a praise poem. Right. <laughs> but I, I I don't know if everyone could get away with praising a bad wig, you know? Um, yeah. I think that's what I, one of the things that's great about Owen. Um, I wonder, too, about the sort of everyday. How do you approach the everyday in your work? And how does this poem tell you something about that, I guess? That's what I love about her specifically. And, and there are many, many people like that. Wanda Coleman, Sharon Olds, who who write poetry about the everyday. You know, there's this idea sometimes in the literary community that like there are things that are inherently not literary, like motherhood, like um, parenthood, fatherhood, marriage, relationships that, that are kind of a niche topic when they're actually so intertwined in most of our lives. And that's what I love about this poem and poems like like this. It's that praise for the everyday that we're all experiencing and not taking everything so seriously. It draws me to it. Yeah. Well, I think because she does it so well, there's a temptation to overlook the sounds, um, which we mentioned briefly, but I, I think deserve yeah. calling attention to again. I mean, I sometimes look at the last words of a, a line and, and almost see the kind of poem that it creates, whether it's water and mother and doctor and pleasure and mm -hmm. these kind of rhymes that she's creating slant as they may be. And then there's things that are, are 
a little bit out of the way that I think make the surprise. I don't know how you do it, but those breaks or I want to throw myself in, you know, like those breaks that happen toward the end of the poem or the late part um, really change into this, uh, you know, some of the change that you see there, that animal self, the wanting, the wanting mm -hmm. to slick back my hair and tap dance up the wall is sonic. You know, there's a kind of interruption, a kind of throwing over in jamet, as we say, that turning mm -hmm. of the line literally means throwing a leg over. And there's a kind of literally throwing uh, oneself in the poem. And there, there's that quality that I think is really subtle. And that's someone like, I think, Sharon Olds or Lucille Clifton, one of my personal favorites, yeah. always has this surface that can seem very uh, simple, but really is complicated and metric and musical and all these other things. Yes, she writes by ear, um, which which I do too. And you can tell that it's very lyrical, um, that raw and radiant. There's there so many parts of the poem like that that are are very musical. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is you couldn't write a, I mean, it'd be really strange, though, I think an interesting tension to have it be more formal. But yet there's this for it's about the form of things being not the things themselves in a way. And that yeah. how the daily rhyming that we do uh, is quite different than the nighttime rhyming in this case, or the, the sort yeah. of behind the scenes. And there's something about that, the public and the private, that I yeah. think uh, the poem is really interested in. Absolutely. What about philosophy in poems? I feel like you're able to turn and, you know, say big things in poems which are hard to do. I mean, you know, and um, I think this does it too. If the soul is in a separate vessel. <laughs> I mean, I love that moment. Yeah. You, you, you're here, uh, you know, by then you're, you, she could say anything. <laughs> yeah. How do you take those sort of turns in the poem? You know, I, I don't know many poets who are not constantly dealing with an existential crisis. I feel like I just wrote my whole last book in an existential crisis. Is there a God? Why are we here? Uh, why why do we form these religious groups? What's going on? Uh, especially in the wake of maybe the last few years, but prob but since the beginning of time, my goodness, poets have been waxing poetic on existential crisis uh, forever. And and she like Aristotle's breath of life. She she's constantly bringing it back, kind of to that that feeling of what are we doing here? And uh, yeah, she she does that, and she's doing so much in this poem. <laughs> Well, and I think the last thing I want to is the ending, which we talked about a little bit, but I think the way it works, like if you had told me in general, like you can end a poem with forever, I'd be like, I'm not sure, but here yeah. it's not a big forever, like it was the forevers that I wrote, like when I was a teenager, you know, uh, yeah. you're like 15 and you think you know what forever is, but here it's actually forever. It's, it's like for the end of time, crab cakes have been ruined um, for the speaker and I wonder about that, How you know, because it's an ending that's unexpected in its uh, ordinariness, like using crab yeah. cakes twice yeah. as the end of times, you know, I, we're talking about like uh, forever and uh, pleasure and vessels and breath of life and then crab cakes. I know, yeah. Of, um, juxtaposition. Um, how do you think about that in poems? 
Oh, I love when I love when writers drop in ordinary words into the middle of a, a lyrical poem. I love the use of forever and I love the repetition of crab cakes. She's just very playful and it, it feels like a very playful ending, which is my absolute favorite kind of poetry is poems that don't take themselves too seriously. And this is a great example of that. Now in our July 25th, 2022 issue, New Yorker published your poem, Mix Up, which you'll read for us in a moment. Did you want to say anything about the poem first? Anything listeners might need to know before they hear it? I want you to think about Lindsay Lohan and Jamie uh, Lee Curtis. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> Here's Kimber reading her poem, Mix Up. This is called Mix Up. In a cosmic mix-up, the wife switches bodies with her husband. Nothing like this has happened before, she cries, as she pulls on his pants, minds the crotch, barrels down the long staircase to an office where they call her Bud and How About Those Stealers. It's upsetting, the whole charade, except at lunch when she orders fries and no one says, we're so bad, or at the meeting when she gives the room all her best ideas and they say, man, where have you been? We have to fix this, her husband begs when the wife returns for dinner. Come here, she says, slipping off her shoes and drawing the curtains before she makes love to another life. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead, Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down, so your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future, so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. I love hearing that aloud, um, especially a line like, man, where have you been? Which has this double, <laughs> suddenly it's man, you know, a oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And you had mentioned uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan, of course. <laughs> you were slow playing it so much that I was like, oh, wait, I had to go back. I just love that switching bodies trope, which is where this uh, poem began. What I love is the 
the title i don't know like the perspective of it too i mean you another poet would have said like i you know but like by making it kind of a fable i almost think of it as doing something different than the morning after which thinks about the everyday as mythical or the ways we break into the mythical or the soulful and here it's sort of like i'm using myth to illustrate the everyday and right. I wonder about that. How how that did it come to you, or you were always thinking about it, or um, you know, how did it sort of come about? I was thinking about literally switching bodies with my own partner, and I just like I said, I've always loved that that trope in storytelling. I think because those kind of tropes they're an emotional shortcut, you know, which we need in poetry to get to the heart of the story. Um, and this is, in this instance, it's the difference between being a man and a woman in the workplace, which I, I think a lot of people can resonate with, but that, that kind of, you know, trick kind of gets you to it quicker. And, and yeah, th this, this poem is very different than Ellen's. They're both about relationships, but you're right. It, it's in a different way. <laughs> Well, I'm interested too, then, this tone you have. It's upsetting, the whole charade, a great line, except at lunch, you know, because there's a way <laughs> in which um, the upset, you know, who it's upsetting for who there, you know, it's told almost yeah. kind of objectively. And you realize she's slowly starting to realize yeah. some of the benefits for her, um, except at lunch when she orders fries and no one says <laughs> we're so bad. I mean, that yeah. isn't just about the workplace, right? Not just about the workplace. I think about this, I mean, all the time, but especially when it comes to food, how women together eat much differently than men do together. Men just like kind of hog it up as much as they want, which women want to do too. But we have to go through this song and dance of we're so bad and I shouldn't do this and let's just split this and I'm just going to have a salad. I'm not that hungry. And it becomes this whole performance that would so quickly be erased in a mix-up. And I think that would be one of the first things you would notice, just a guess, is is the restaurant and, and the food arena. Sure. Well, in this meeting, which I've been in that meeting, you know, um, where someone says something and then another person says it, and, you know, maybe that person's a man and they suddenly, it's like <laughs> it was first spoken yeah. ever, you know, and I, I think that, that kind of reality in a poem we would take very differently if it wasn't in this fable. Um, is this a technique you've turned to before or uh, after? I don't think so. This is the first poem like this I think I've done. There's another one in my first book where it talks about a woman who right before her wedding, I don't know why I'm saying a woman, this is a true story. Uh, <laughs> a friend's dad said, you know, don't get fat like other wives do. And then I brined him in a deep salt bath. And, and I kind of go through how I would cook up this man and eat him to show him how hungry I am. So I guess that's kind of like this, uh, kind of making the real life. <laughs> I love that poem. Um, well, tell me about the end of Mix Up and this sort of, is it a seduction? Is it, a, you know, what happens in that second stanza um, for you? This The husband, we have to fix this, I, which I love that sort of gap between man, where have you been? And we have to fix this. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to have kind of a delicious ending to that because how many times have has a woman kind of been dismissed after saying, no, this is so unfair, I don't want to do this. And like, oh, calm down, it's okay. Here's kind of an antidote. That antidote is particularly funny to me. I wanted it to be kind of a delicious moment at the end, which I, I hope I achieve there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it might be a good chance to talk real briefly about that first book which did so well um, and really resonated with people. Was that something you expected or how did that happen? For oh. you? How did you experience that? That book came out November 8th of 2020. I don't know if you remember what was going on that day, but it was a very contentious day in history. And also we were in the middle of COVID. So I thought no one would read this. I thought the news cycle is so distracted. And uh, so I was shocked uh, for it to even make it on the list. Um, I didn't even know how that list worked. So I was really blown away. Yeah, I, people wanted poetry, I, I think. Um, I think it's very funny when people write in articles or say poetry is really having a moment because, you know, poetry's had a lot of moments <laughs> over history. So it's not just now. But I do think there was that time in our our most recent history, people were ready for something a, a book like that and so that's my best guess but it was a it was a huge shock yeah and then after that the success of that first book you published a great book about some of the letters you got from that first book yeah i did not in intend to write a whole book of erasure poetry i was really doing that as a party trick uh, on the internet. Um, my publisher really kept pushing it. I think you should write a whole book of these. And I thought, wow, that's going to be such a downer. But yeah, it, it also really connected with people, which I'm so glad it was it was kind of a, a nightmare to write, I had to write it in my van. It was uh, COVID. And I couldn't work in my house. And I couldn't work in any coffee shops, because you know, you couldn't go inside. So I would take my computer, my laptop and prop it up on my steering wheel and, and borrow the internet from coffee shops to write. So yes, that came out after a year after, uh, which, which was a mixed bag to write, but had a, had a good reception. And I'm glad people um, connected with it. So the first one's what kind of woman, and then I hope this finds you well. I mean, what I was struck by seeing those, I think I saw them in real time before they were in a book was just how, I don't know, because uh, it captures both how people feel really emboldened in this moment to write to people yeah. they don't know and say really crazy, personal, even, you know, offensive things. Um, and then also how funny you've made their very words or, or rather another way to put it, how within them is lurking something else that they don't <laughs> even know. Uh, sure. Was that some of what struck you? I mean, it must have been, hey, you're getting all this fan mail, of course, but then you're getting some of these strange some are emails, I guess. When in that process did you decide you were going to start doing that? You said you just did that almost as a prowler trick, but. Yeah. I mean, the first, the first time I did it was right after George Floyd was murdered, which again was another contentious time. So everyone was kind of arguing about police reform. And this woman came into my DMs, like, like happens on the internet. I like to mention, you know, we're in the wild west of the internet. This is not that new. We have very little regulation. Anyone can be anyone and mes message anyone and say anything. Uh, and so really trying to figure this out. A anyway, so this woman messaged me and just on a whim, I took a screenshot and, and hid her identity because I, I kind of saw the words like pop out in a new way. And I thought, you know, oh, I'll make a poem out of this. 
And because so many people connected with it, yeah, like a party trick, I kept I kept doing that. But then I, I kept seeing things everywhere. I'd be looking at my kids' vocab sheets and the sentences they would use. And I would, oh, I could make a poem out of this. And it just kind of snowballed into something else, not not just messages to me, you know, I, I used Brett Kavanaugh, a, a transcript, uh, some lines from Donald Trump, you know, a bunch of different things I use to make poems. Um, but yeah, very unexpected. I like to say I'm in retirement from doing that. However, people continue to message me and I like to just put a PSA out. If anyone is planning to message me some unkind things, please use nouns please use adjectives because it's really frustrating to get those messages and not be able to use it now, you know? (laughs) Well, and I I think um, it's, you know, we were talking about poetry having a moment. There's a weird way in which erasure is having a moment. I mean, I've seen some really powerful erasures. You know, I happen to be able to name a few black poets who've done that. Uh, Tracy K. Smith or Robin Mm -hmm. Cost Lewis. Uh, um, I know Nicole Silly is doing things like that. You know, I'm curious about how you, the politics, I guess, of erasure. And you're mentioning George Floyd. It seems like that was part of what you were thinking about, at least. Initially, in that first message, um, I was thinking about that. You know, anything that I posted that was political, it was like, can you stop being so political? Which I also think is kind of funny to say to a poet. Poetry is so political. But I wonder about erasure as a technique. Do you think of that as political? I guess is the question. I guess it depends what you're erasing. Um, or I guess it could, it's political either way. It, de- it really depends what you're erasing. Um, and, and, and if that person wants to be erased, uh, there's certainly a lot of people that I've taken their messages that I'm sure do not appreciate that and are, <laughs> that feel very politically charged. Um, yeah, I I do think it's political, although I, I think all poetry is political, so. And what about you? What's next? What are you thinking about? You've been working on a quick clip. Uh, is that how you work on books? You tend to work on book-length projects, or are you kind of poem by poem, and then you look back, and suddenly you have a book? How, how do you approach that? I am writing another book, although this has slowed down, Um like I said, I didn't mean to do three books in three years. There was supposed to be a gap there, but that erasure poetry slipped in. So yeah, taking some time to kind of reevaluate uh, my own existential crises and uh, see what comes next. Very interested in screenwriting. Always have 10 novel ideas in my brain. I could have never predicted that I would have three poetry books in three years. So I, I could never make a guess what comes next, but I'm sure some poetry, I, I can't escape it. Um, and I don't want to escape it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk today. Thank you, Kevin. It was an honor to be here. Mix Up by Kate Baer, as well as Ellen Bass's The Morning After, can be found on newyorker.com. Ellen Bass's most recent book is Indigo. Kate Baer's latest poetry collection is And Yet. You may subscribe to this podcast, The Fiction Podcast, The Writer's Voice Podcast, and The Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and The New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Corner by Christian Scott Atunde Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and Ropadope. 
The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Michelle Moses with help from Hannah Eisenman. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. From PR.